Father, this morning we thank you for your faithfulness day in and day out. And God, what we pray today is ears to hear, to hear you speak, to hear your word, to know your ways are higher than our ways. You remind us time and time again. Help us to remember it's all about you, Jesus. Help us to remember that your message was, Behold, the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent, the kingdom of God is at hand. So we ask today if there's anything in any of our lives that we need to repent of, Lord, that you would grant us that grace of repentance. Lord, that there would be nothing between you and us. So, Lord, as we turn to your word, we ask that it would become alive in us and that the word would become flesh. That we would take it personal and apply it and understand that all things, no matter where it is in the text, that we need to hear it, not someone else. We're the ones that are here. We're the ones that are listening. In Jesus' name, amen. We're at one of those difficult places to be. Uh, And what I mean by that in the text, we're dealing with apostasy. And if I would ask anyone to hold up their hands, and I'm not going to today, if I ask the question, how many think they're going to be walk into apostasy or be apostate, and no one would hold their hands up. Because we do deceive ourselves. The Bible speaks about apostasy again and again and again. And we look at Israel, and we're not much different than Israel, the people of Israel at that time. God warned them. And he warned them. And there's always warning before wrath. And as we come to this text, it is a warning before wrath that comes, not just on this country, but on the world. There's one thing that you and I need to focus upon, and that is Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. He has the words of life. These words need to become a part of us so we don't have to really think, what do I need to do in this situation? Because these words transform us and change us through the working of the Holy Spirit. He takes this word and he changes us. He washes us and cleanses us and teaches us how to think. That's his side. Your side is to listen. Your side is to let him work in your life. Let him make the changes. Not turning to the world, not even turning to another brother or sister in Christ, but you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ if you've been born again. We have to be very careful as people. Maybe you're not going to be apostate, but maybe you give out bad information. I will ask, has anyone ever given out bad information to somebody and it really caused problems? We need to think before we speak. We need to be careful of giving our opinions in this time and we need to go to the very word of God because the word of God is what we stand upon. 
because it's all about Jesus. I'd like to begin with an illustration, and it's really about um, really giving bad information, butting in other people's life, and the danger of that. The reason I'm using this illustration, because we might ask, uh, why should any of us um, be even warned about apostasy? Because maybe you're only one step away. I'm serious. I do believe in security of salvation, kept by the power of God until that day. There's no question about that. But within the church, there are people that really think they know everything. But they don't even really know Jesus. They can sing at him and praise him and live like the world. We would do well to appreciate the seriousness of false teaching. Consider the story of a young woman with her baby traveling on a train across the Canadian prairies. It was cold winter night when the temperature was far below freezing. Obviously anxious, the woman asked the porter several times to be sure to put her off at the right stop. Outside, the wind bustered, the snowflakes burst against the window. It was dark as pitch. And a helpful salesman sitting across the aisle said, Lady, I've traveled this line for years and know every train stop. If the porter forgets to tell you, I'll be sure to let you know when you arrive at your stop. Presently, the train stopped. The passengers could hear the usual commotion outside, but it was too dark to see. Anxiously, the woman looked around. This isn't your stop, said the salesman. Yours is the next one. And again, the train pulled off in the night, and the salesman helped the woman gather her bags and And presently the train stopped and the man carried her bags to the door while she bundled up her child. He helped her down the steps into the cold, dark, bustering night. Nothing could be seen, but it was dark and the woman was sure that she would be met. She she couldn't stay on the train. She thanked the helper and watched the train pull off. And shortly afterwards, the porter came down to the coach and stopped at the empty seat. Where's the lady who was sitting here, he asked. And he said to the salesman, she got off at the last stop a few minutes ago. That was her stop. I've been keeping track of her. You forgot to tell her it was her stop. The porter said in alarm, that wasn't her stop. That wasn't even a station. It was a temporary signal stop. And we have to back up the train. The train was reversed. The emergency stopped. The volunteers poured out to look for the mother. They found her, frozen to death with her baby, a victim of wrong information. Religious error is even more deadly. It kills, it damns. We need to be very careful on what we say to people. The exhortation to the people. We've been given God's word. And that's what the world needs to hear. 
Judgment is about to fall. I don't know when. I'm not going to set a time. But are you ready? Are your friends ready? Have you given them the truth? The truth that will set them free. Many are out there, false teachers, false prophets, exalting themselves. Many are so caught up in politics and they've missed the most important thing and that is going and making disciples. Bringing the truth to a world that is lost. This is our first call. This is one of the ways that you and I worship Jesus Christ. Is exalting his name and telling everyone about who he is and what he has done. And speaking with such assurance and peace. Because perfect love casts out all fear. And there are many in this world right now are very fearful when they look at the news, whatever it is. Are we looking? To see where God might lead us, who He would, might have us speak to? Are we more concerned about our rights, our comfort? I like those things too. But we know how this book ends. And we could give false information, very sincere as that salesman was but sincerely wrong. When you look at Jesus Christ in the Bible, you look at the miracles, they authenticated who he was. He was was the Messiah. But he was always focusing on what the greatest need was. And what is the greatest need? The need is of salvation for the lost. And that has to be our priority. Because if it is not our priority, we have got our priorities all mixed up. Your family, your friends that have never heard the gospel will go to hell. This is not meant to be a hell and brimstone, but it's a very serious thing. People don't understand apostasy. There are many that claim to be Christians and they walk away and they never come back. And it could be you. I'm not trying to make you be nervous in your seat, but you need to examine yourself and see if you're of the faith and you have a a real relationship with a real Savior who is coming back, because if you don't, you'll be the first one not to backslide, but to walk away, cursing God, and you will be the one that's under the curse. These are serious times more than any other time. Now in the Bible, it it talks about this, again, multitude of instances, apostasy in the Bible. You had the Israelites, as I mentioned, time and time again, turning away. Saul was, again, apostate who turned away from God. It wasn't that he didn't know. It wasn't that he wasn't informed. But he turned away because of his own comfort, his own pride, his own kingdom, instead of the kingdom of the Lord. And then there's Amaziah. And if you flash forward to the New Testament, you have the disciples. 
the disciples, oh, you remember, who went and sold their goods, kept some of the money, which they could, but give them, again, the money they gave and lied to the Holy Spirit, lied to the people. Oh, we're giving it all because they wanted people to see them, to call attention to them. Some people just give to be seen. It's pride again. Judas is a a very good example of apostate. Judas walked with Jesus for three and a half years. My God, if I walked with Jesus, I would never walk with... It's possible. And that's why we have to examine our own hearts. That's why we need to be in the Word every day. And that's why we need to be seeking the Lord. If there's any wicked way, show me. Search my heart, Lord. But sometimes we don't want to hear the truth. Colossians 2.8 says this, See to it that no one, no one who takes you captive through philosophy and empty deception in accordance to human tradition, in accordance to the elementary principles of this world, rather than accordance to Christ. Warning the, the Colossian church, And yet there are people within the body of Christ that are being sucked away with philosophy and all kinds of things. Demonic activity. They're looking for power. They're saying it's better to have something happen, have this power happening than have nothing at all, even if it's demonic. And people are seeking after it today. They're seeking after signs and wonders. My prayer is that you seek first the kingdom of God, his righteousness. Know that he will add all things, all things that you need. Make a list tonight. What do you need? When I moved to Hawaii, I realized there's a lot of things I really don't need. And he has blessed me with a wife and children, a home over my head and an opportunity to open the word with people and encourage them. And sometimes boldly speak the word when need to be. Again, see to it that that you're not taken captive by philosophy. What are you reading? What are you focusing on? Does God take last place in your life? Listen to Hebrews here, 10, 23, and 25. We looked at these last week. Let's hold firmly to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who has promised to be faithful, let us consider how to encourage one another in love and good deeds, not abandoning our own again meeting together, as a habit as some have the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. What he's saying is do not forsake the fellowship of the saints. Now, certainly we have a, a, a health issue to concern, laws. I understand that. But even if you cannot be here, and I'm saying that to those that are on the Internet, you need to be in fellowship with others, whether it be Zoom or Skype or whatever you do. You need to have someone in your life that you're praying with regularly. I know some that are praying with somebody every day. That's their prayer time. Not just their family, but friends. Now the idea goes on that we're to encourage one another. This is from the text last weekend. I wasn't able to finish it. 
But we're to encourage one another to grow in the love and grace of Jesus Christ. Go and serve the Lord. Go and make disciples. Go and minister to people. I heard a message of a guy just briefly. He said, there's many lukewarm Christians out there. I don't believe there's any lukewarm Christians. See, a Christian is one who is a disciple that follows Jesus Christ. The words that he speaks bring healing. They bring life. That's your hot. Your cold brings refreshment. The lukewarm Christian, as Revelation talks about, is you're neither hot or cold. Because you're neither hot or cold. Mean good things, I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. Those are unsaved people in a church professing to be believers. And if you focus on it from that aspect, he's talking about, again, Heropolis. Snow, what it looks like, snow-capped mountains, but it's hot. It's, it's salt water. It, it, you see all the minerals. And it would look like that. And people would go and soak in the heat, and, and they would be healed. Or Mount Cadmus, where, again, it is snow-capped. The water comes down, and it's refreshing. You know when it gets hot and miserable here during the summer? The beaches are just flooded. It sure is nice to go up to the creek and the refreshment. Our words need to be refreshment to a world that is hurting. Our words need to be words of healing to people. We have the words of life. God's opened your heart, and we need to share like never shared before. When Jesus healed Peter's mother-in-law, she instantly served. God has saved you that you would go out and make disciples. That you would go and tell others. Now it's interesting, he says, as you see that day drawing near in Hebrews there, whether it be the rapture, the second coming, we did talk about that part last week, it really doesn't matter. But as you see that day approaching, and most of us realize, hey, it can't go on the way it's going. Something's got to happen. And it's what's going to happen in the Bible, what it's already said. We need to be aware. We need to be awake. We need to be looking for the opportunities that God puts before us. Because if we don't, we, believers that don't, would be ashamed at his coming. And I don't think anybody wants to be ashamed at his coming. Hebrews 4, 6 says this, Therefore, since it remains for some to enter in, those who previously had the good news preached to them but failed to enter in because of their disobedience, he again sets a certain day today, saying that David, after so long a time, just as it had been said before, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Whole generation dropped dead in the desert. Their disobedience showed that they really didn't believe God. Sometimes I don't think I can do what I do. And I'm right. But he can. When you surrender your life to him, he's the one that will speak through you. He's the one that will move you. You have to have that relationship. And then in Hebrews 4, 8, 
For if Joshua had given him rest, he would not have spoken of another day after that. Consequently, there remains a Sabbath rest for his people. You know what Sabbath rest is? It's not in a day. It's in the person Jesus Christ. He is our rest and we can worship him seven days a week. He set us free from the legalism. Oh, yeah, you've got to make something. Yeah. But when you do, you find God has called you, God's prepared you. And Lord, why have I dilly-dallied so long when you begin to do that? Because he's made you that way to function and you find that joy. Again, in 2 Peter 2.20, For if after they had escaped the defilements of this world by the knowledge of the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, they again entangle themselves and are overcome. The last date is worse for them than the first. It's talking about the end times. See, apostate knows the truth. He knows what he should be doing, but he puts his priorities someplace else. Stop listen and ask God do I have my priorities in the right place am I in the place that you would have me be am I doing what you would have me do well look at verse 26 in our text as we get going and what we're going to see is the the danger from some rejecting God's Son. As I read the Bible, I, I kind of believe that all of us, oh, for you that are visiting, this means my opinion here. Every one of us know apostate. The Bible describes their wheat and tares grow side by side. You won't know them until the harvest. This is why it's so important that we need to fan the flame in one another's life, encourage one another to continue and press on. Well, look at the tares of apostasy, verse 26. For if we go on sinning, notice, willfully, after receiving the knowledge of truth, there is no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. See, the sinning willfully, it's premeditated. It's habitual. It's refusal to repent. I can't change my life, many say. You're right. But God can. And repentance means that you're going to repent of this and turn back and say, God, I can't to him. And he will give you the strength. He will give you the ability. Apostates willingly continue like a dog does in his vomit to go back to. It's a hard message. Apostasy means a, a falling away, a falling away from what they knew. They're without excuses what the Bible is teaching. And there's a point that he turns them over in the book of Revelation, not Revelation, Romans, excuse me, Romans chapter 1. When God eventually will turn people over to a reprobate mind, a mind that doesn't work. So what is willful sin? 
It's really choosing a life of sin. It's instead of living for God and putting God first, you're, you're living the way the rest of the world lives. Selfishly. Self-centered. It's not wrong to have things. It's not wrong to do different things. But, but when you live as the world does and that becomes your priority in life, when that's preeminent in all your thoughts, when your job is more important than a relationship with Jesus Christ, or your school, your retirement, you're in serious trouble because the priorities are wrong. It's deliberately choosing to to live for this world. Self, instead of Christ Jesus. Some think they can come and just give money to a church and everything will be fine. I come to church only on maybe Christmas or Easter and never read the word. Jesus says, you're my disciples. If you continue in my word, that's not just reading the word, I think that's important, but reading the word, you know what to do and how to live and it washes you, changes you and cleanses you. So this apostasy is, is living for this world and never turning back to God when they walk away. It's never repenting and turning to God. You can come to church week after week, listen to message after message, and your life is not changed. There are many who have great knowledge of the Scripture, and yet they don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ. That's the beginning of an apostate. It's continuing to choose to live a life of sin habitually. So he's received the knowledge, the knowledge of Jesus Christ, the knowledge of the truth the Scripture says there in verse 26, but willfully sins. That knowledge is is talking about a a full knowledge. It's a once acquired knowledge, the Amplified adds to that. Again, another translation says, and it's the revelation of, through Jesus Christ. Not just reading it, but knowing it. In another commentary by Robert W. Ross, he said this, there is no lack of understanding of the truth. They knew. And they turn away. Now there's backsliding. That's something different. I, I went to church. I was baptized in the church. And I went the way of the world. And maybe 25, 30 years later, God snatched me out of the fire and brought me back to him. If he would have come during that time, I would have gone to hell. I was showing all the traits all the traits of apostate. But a backslider, he disciplines them because he loves them. 
I knew that truth. And I was miserable. And he would use all of these things to bring me back to himself. The apostate never, ever returns. Hebrews 10, verses 22 through 25, we looked at last week. It says it's failing. These are some of the things that lead up. Failing to draw near to God. That begins in prayer. When you're in the Word. Failing to draw near to God. It's failing to hold fast to what you know, that Jesus is Lord and Savior, and He's coming again. This is the most important thing for every Christian right now is our walk, our relationship with Jesus Christ, not the world. As moms and dads, the next most important thing is your kids. Living it, modeling it, letting them see that you worship God, that you study the Word, you do it as a family, you talk to them, you correct them with the Word of God. This is where we need to be right now. Failing to stir up, as we saw just a few moments ago, other Christians to love one another. To stimulate them onto good works. And failing just to symbol, to be the church. Let the world see the church. We, we believe in the Lord. It could be on the beach, could be in a park, could be congregating here. We just put new speakers in here and we're moving on that one day this church will be overflowing. We're praying before the Lord comes. Other changes we're going to make. We're holding on to the fact that God has called us here to minister in our own community and that all of us are going to minister and all of us are going to reach out to our own community. This is why this message is, is so important. Twofold. One, to make sure we're not apostates. To examine ourselves. Am I really focused on Him? Am I really sure I'm going home to be with Him one day? My kids? So apostate is one who falls away, in this case, from the truth. He withdraws. He defects is another way of saying it. Psalm 66, 18 says this, If I regard wickedness in my heart, the Lord will not hear. This is, this is what we're called to do. Our family, our friends, to encourage one another. Be careful. So if I regard wickedness in my heart, I, I look at this and, and, oh, well, this is entertaining. This should not entertain us. We should turn away. Romans 1.18 says this, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against ungodliness, unrighteousness, of people who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. See, apostate has to suppress that truth in order to do what he chooses to do. And then in John 3.36... It says this, and the one who believes in the Son has eternal life, but the one who does not obey the Son will not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. See, if you know the Son, you want to serve the Lord. You want to give to the Lord. You're not doing it in a legalistic way. To know the Son, that word know, means in an intimate way. 
as you would your brother, your sister, your, your, your mom, your dad, in a very closeness, that you would have that relationship with God. And then in Matthew 13, verse 40 through 42, so just as the weeds are gathered up and burned with the fire, so shall they be at the end of the age. And the Son of Man, which is a messianic term used in Matthew, will send his angels and they will gather out the kingdom, all the stumbling blocks, and those who commit lawlessness, and they will throw them into the furnace of fire in the place. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. There are many today giving out false information. They're leading them in the wrong way. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, the life. There's no way the Father but through me. We have one way. The way to life is narrow and broad and wide that leads to destruction. And there are many in the church are getting comfortable, but they're getting comfortable, too comfortable. They're not functioning as the church anymore. You can still be active in ministry even at home because every church has great needs. This church has great needs, things that people can do at home, connecting with people, encouraging people, praying with people. Again, it's not because they did not know the truth. The author made it clear. After we have received the knowledge of the truth, they knew it. And that's all you and I can do is just bring the truth. You're responsible. This is your responsibility to bring the truth to a lost and dying world. They're responsible for their own actions and their choices. And even when it hurts when people reject it, we should thank God that we're able and he allows us to go out and share with people, especially our family. Let me read from Hebrews 6, verse 4 through 8. For it is impossible in the case of those who have once been enlightened, have tasted the heavenly gift, been made partakers of the Holy Spirit, have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the age to come, and then they fall away. That's the apostasy to restore them back again to repentance, since again they crucify themselves to the Son of God and put, put him to open shame. For the ground that drinks up the rain which falls upon it produces vegetation useful for those whose sake it will be tilled and receives the blessing of God. But if it is yields thorns and thistles, it's worthless, close to being cursed. In the end, it's burned. The apostate knows the truth. He suppresses the truth. He's without, or she, without excuse. They're naive. Because in the beginning they say, that's not me. I would never do that. Be careful. John 8, 32 says this, you will know the truth, the truth will set you free. 1 Timothy 2, 4 says, who knows all people to be saved and come to the knowledge of truth. See, that's God's will. God wants to see everyone to come to the truth. But he knows they won't. But he makes it available for everyone. And we're those instruments he uses. Hebrews 3.12 says, Take care, brothers and sisters, that there will be 
not be in any one of you an evil, unbelieving heart that falls away from the true and living God. The exhortation is, look, there should not be an evil heart where you're drifting away or, or doubting what the scripture says. Every pastor has seen so many that come and they say a sinner's prayer and they're going and then they get caught up on some obscure passage in the Bible somewhere and, and then they begin to argue and they begin to fight over it and, and they say, I can't continue, I can't believe this. What matters is who Jesus Christ is and what he's done. But they're there. And sadly, it grieves our heart now. It aggrieves our hearts when that time of judgment comes, that rewards, if we haven't got out and tried to encourage them, gone out and reached out. Galatians 5, 19 through 21 now the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are sexual immorality, impurity, indecent behavior, idolatry, witchcraft, hostilities, strife, jealousy, outburst of anger, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, carousing, things like these, which I forewarn you just as I forewarned you, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. He says, if you do these things habitually, you will not enter the kingdom of God. Now, I'm going to hold my hand up. You don't have to hold yours up. But when I first read that list, I was just saved, born again. And I looked at that list. Oh, Lord. My God. I don't want this to be true in my life any longer. Now, all of us fall short of the glory of God. We understand that. That's, that's okay. In the sense, he will finish that work in us. But we have to recognize there's still sin in each one of our lives. And, and God wants to deal with it. And as we look at the scripture, it should convict us. It doesn't condemn us. Condemnation comes when we reject this truth and we reject Jesus Christ. Look with me in our text back in your Bibles. Verse 27 says, But a terrifying expectation of judgment and the fury of a fire which will consume the adversaries. Deuteronomy 4.24 says this, For the Lord, the covenant God in this case, your God, is a consuming fire and a jealous God. And then Isaiah 66, verse 15 and 16 Notice what it says. For behold, the Lord will come in fire and his chariots like a whirlwind to render his anger. Now that's a holy anger, by the way, too. You and I don't have holy anger, no matter what you think. And his rebuke with flames of fire and the Lord will execute judgment by fire and by his sword on humanity and those put to death by the Lord will be many. That final battle in Armageddon, it describes a, a river of blood. There's so many people that will die. Because they like darkness more than light. Zephaniah 1.18 says this, Neither their silver nor their gold will be able to save them. On that day of the Lord's anger, and all the earth will be devoured. And by the fire of his jealousy, 
for he will make a complete end, indeed a horrifying one, and all the inhabitants of the earth. Let me tell you, God is jealous for you today. Isn't that kind of cool that he's jealous for you? He wants to protect you. He knows that if you turn away from him, he knows the consequence, the pain, the sorrow. He knows that judgment's coming, but he's jealous for you. He adores you. Look with me. As we go to verse 28, we see the logic really behind the terrors. Anyone who has ignored the law of Moses is to be put to death without mercy upon the testimony of two or three witnesses. How much more severe the punishment do you think he will deserve who has trampled underfoot the Son of God, has regarded unclean the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and he has insulted the Spirit of grace. Now he's going to go from the lesser to the greater. He began in verse 28 saying those that ignore the law, and he talks about the judgment, how he judged them, how he dealt with them. But there were two to three witnesses. God's fair in his judgment, first of all. He is fair. He is a righteous judge. He is a holy judge. So the author begins, and he argues from the, the lesser to the greater. So he goes from the old punishment of death for a person who refused to obey the law of Moses. And he's going to liken it to the apostasy today. Let me read in Deuteronomy. Let's show you this in verse, or chapter 13, verse 6 through 11. If your brother and your mother's son, or son or daughter, or a wife you cherish, or a friend who is like your own soul, entices you secretly, saying, let's go and serve other gods, whom neither of you or your fathers had known, of the other gods of the people, and around you, near you, and far from you, from one end of the earth to the other, you shall not consent to him and listen to him, and your eyes shall not pity him, nor shall you spare conceal him. Now I'm going to stop there for a second. Israel and its apostasy, when God led them into the promised land, this is very important to understand. He brings them into the land. He's doing everything he said he would do. He says you have to eradicate all the animals, the men, the women, the children in this case. They come to that point in no return. That means they're not going to respond back to God. There's no chance. There's no hope of salvation. God still reaches to some individual ones. There's, he'll always reach out to someone that will respond. He says, if you don't do this, you will become just like them. The very things that they did, they did. And the sacrificing of their own children. If you don't deal with the flesh, if you don't deal with the world, it will come back and haunt you. If you don't deal with those emotions, those things that are deceiving you, those friends that are leading you astray, no longer focused upon what is right and what is wrong, you will become just like them. Hebrews 3.12 says this again, Take care, brothers and sisters, that you will not be in any one of you an evil, unbelieving heart that falls away from the living God. 
The reason I picked this again, because sometimes people are debating over a verse, and they can make it say anything they want it to say. But so many people lead another person astray with something far-fetched. I've seen it too many times. I've talked to other pastors. They've seen the same thing. What is the context? How does this fit with the rest of the Bible? And Hebrews 10.31, it simply says this. It's a terrifying thing to fall in the hands of a living God. If you reject the very truth, the principle, it's all about Jesus. It's about him coming and redeeming man. Wanting to bring man to himself. See, the apostate, again, renounces Christ and the community of faith in the end. That's the final stage of it. Well, again, he tramples, notice, God's very own son underfoot. Well, it, how does he do that? It's a question. By rejecting Christ for all he sees. When you've seen what Jesus Christ has done for you on the cross, and you say, well, no, I'm going to go for the world, you're trampling him. He's talking about people that were in the church who knew the truth, and they go back to the world. Refusing to obey Christ in the presence of other people, denying Christ both the life and his word. People say, well, Jesus really wasn't born of a virgin. He really didn't die. And they make all these excuses so they don't have to believe. And they end up fashioning their own God, their own idol, who is not the God of the Bible. Insulting Christ by professing his name and yet living in sin habitually. Living worse than the world lives and defying him. Well, the second thing it says in that verse is he, he counts the blood of Christ as unholy. We'll take communion in a few minutes. Christ's blood was shed for you and me, Messiah blood. We're to know and understand what Jesus Christ did, but they knew. They understood. They even once professed. But they walk away. The person does not accept what the scripture says any longer. They have two attitudes. They reject the blood of Christ because they think there's a way of God is is living and doing is a, a better way. Because they had the wrong idea about who Jesus Christ is and what Jesus Christ had done. The word of God is true. It's life. The third thing, he has despised the spirit of grace. The very person that showers blessings and grace upon him. The one that opens up his heart. The one that convicts him of his sin. He begins to mock, despise, insult, And it just moves away. This is what we call blasphemy of the Spirit. Twofold. One, Israel's a nation. Second one, any person who continually rejects Jesus Christ will never enter the kingdom of God. It doesn't matter how much they know. 
if they reject him. It doesn't matter how much they do if they reject him. And yet the church is moving in this works salvation. It's always been there. But there's this huge increase. Again, look at verse 26 just for a moment. For if we go on sinning willfully after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there is no longer remains a sacrifice for the sins. Some are that point in the church. I'm hearing from different pastors. Well, look at the terror of the judgment. It's in verse 30. For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a terrifying thing to fall in the hands of a living God. First of all, I love that word, vengeance is mine. Boy, that's so freeing. I don't need to, if someone's wronged me, hurt me, I I don't need to, to deal with it. I need to love them and I need to pray for them. He's a holy judge and I know I cannot judge holy. Now, again, God's going to deal with this world. He's going to deal with the apostate. I need to deal with myself and submit myself to him. That's what's important. Now, he goes on in verse 31. This is important to know. It's a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of a living God. He is an all-consuming God. Let me read here 1 Peter 4, 17 through 19. For it is the time for judgment to begin with that household of God. I'm stopping there for a second. I believe judgment is coming. Not so much on this nation. That's another thing. Judgment's coming on the household of God. Pastors, leaders who have not taught the very word of God. He says judgment starts with the household of God. He goes on again in that passage. I'll begin again in verse 17. For it is time for the judgment to begin with the household of God. If it begins with us first, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? He's going to deal with the hypocrisy in the church. The false teaching. The fleecing of the flock. God wants you to be rich. Spiritually. And he does bless some more than others. And he blesses them that they might give unto other people. And if it is with difficulty that the righteous is saved, what will become of the godless man and the sinner? Times are going to get tough. It's not so much this nation. It's on those who call upon the name of the God first and they're living a hypocritical life. Second that, it will be on all the countries around the world because everything focuses around Israel. The final fulfillment is with Israel. It's not centering around us. I'd like to share, again, it's an illustration, but it's the truth. Julian, the apostate, was a nephew of a Roman emperor, Constantine, the man who established Christianity as a state religion in the empire. Julian was raised in the teaching of the church. His main teacher was the celebrated Bishop Eusebius. Julian, however, secretly revolted against the Christian faith when still in his very early teens. However, so long as 
I had no power. He played the hypocrite. But once he became an emperor, he threw off all the pretense, declared himself to be what he was, and he had been called for centuries apostate. Julian reigned only for 18 months, but in that short space of time, he did all a human being could do. He backed by almost limitless imperial power, moved by fanatic zeal to restore the paganism, the control, the destiny of the world. He even went so far as to openly defy God by attempting to rebuild the Jewish temple in Jerusalem in a mistaken notion that Christ had not only predicted the destruction of the temple, but also declared it would would never be built. Julian threw himself, his body and his soul, into a pagan religion. He sacrificed every morning to the rising of the sun, every evening to the setting of the sun. He pointed to a his dagger in the sky and defying the God of of, um, the Son of God who contemptuously called as a pale Galilean. Julian, short reign, came to a horrible end. He was slain in a skirmish in a Persian front. When he saw that he was wounded to death, that it was all over, he took his hands of his own blood and threw them into the air, crying, Thou hast conquered O thou Galilean. And he was buried in all places of Tarsus, the birthplace of Paul. Julian was raised in a, what would have been a, a godly family. He had godly influence. Moms, dads, grandmas, grandmas. You need to pray for your kids. We need to pray that this, this younger generation, when this thing goes away, that we will be a church that outreaches to the young generation. This is what moves us to be people of faith. To trust in the Lord when we see people just walking away and they don't even know the truth. That that we become zealous. We hang on to the truth. We tell others about the truth. We seize the opportunities. Father, thank you for today. Thank you for your word. It's timeless. Lord, it's practical. It's what we need to hear. Sometimes it seems more harsh and hard, but yet we still need to hear it. Our friends need to hear it. We know you are a holy, righteous God, and we know that judgment is about to come. We ask today that mercy will fall upon this country, mercy will fall upon our families, God, that you would put a new desire in our heart to live for you like we have never lived before. Give us a a supernatural hunger and thirst for your righteousness that we press on. In Jesus' name, amen.